Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something... Other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Thursday, July 22nd, 2021, people. And let me tell you this. Sometimes in life you just get lucky. Last week... I take a vacation, not saying it to brag. I hope all of you get a chance to get away over the course of this summer. It is much needed. I feel very refreshed, but basically nothing happened in sports. Then I come back. Kofi Coburn recommits to Illinois. Marcus Carr commits to Texas. We got SEC media days. And then the bombshell of all bombshells, which we're about to talk about, Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe they're going to the Big 12. So that is what today's show is going to be about. Texas and Oklahoma, this crazy report that they may be leaving the Big 12. I think I said going to the Big 12, but leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC. I don't really buy the narrative. I'll explain why. From there, we'll talk a little bit about this Nick Saban, Bryce Young name image likeness story. I found it very interesting. Alabama's coach Nick Saban basically saying that his quarterback may make close to a million dollars in name image likeness. That's another one. I don't know if it really passes the smell test. And then from there, a really fun interview. So for people who are kind of lost on this sports calendar that's so weird, the NBA Finals just finished all that stuff. The Olympics actually start this weekend, um, and there's all sorts of debate about, you know, should the Olympics be had, Tokyo, COVID, all that stuff. We're not going to do that today. What I will do is this, though. I will bring on the first ever Olympian that I have brought onto the Aaron Torres podcast as a good friend of mine. Her name is Annie Kuhn. She is a female uh, track and field star, heptathlon. She is headed to Tokyo for the Olympics. And I just thought it would be so cool to have her on. Ironically, she's a Texas A&M Aggie. I think she was there right when the Texas-Texas A&M uh, Holy War was going on. But she has an incredible story about how she got to the Olympics, what it's like, what it's like to prepare for four years for one track meet. Just a really, really fun interview that I conducted right before I started recording this podcast. So Annie Coons, a good friend of mine. I actually met her. She was hosting a Texas A&M football show with Casey Smith, who is now at Barstool Sports, who has been on the Aaron Torres podcast before many years ago, but Andy Coot's coming up. But let's start with the topic of the day, the topic of the week. I don't know. Is it the topic of the year in college sports? It is Texas and Oklahoma, maybe potentially wanting to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. And it's funny. I'll say this. 
college sports is supposed to slow down when the season ends, March Madness, all that stuff. And I feel like about four or five times over the course of this summer, I have said, well, this is the story of the year. We have name image likeness, the one-time transfer rule. This guy transfers. This guy signs an NIL deal. But if you talk about a major earth-shattering, potentially, uh, you know, gravity-moving, I don't even know, I'm like Jeff Bezos, I'm in space, I can't tell up from down right now, uh, you know, you talk about a potential just gravity-changing, college sports-changing, landscape-changing moment, it came out on, I guess it was Wednesday afternoon, when the Houston Chronicle reported that both Texas and Oklahoma are considering and pursuing a shot to join the SEC. And it was the topic that basically overtook all of college sports on Wednesday, obviously with SEC media days going on. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, was asked about it. He gave a no comment. Texas gave a no comment. Oklahoma gave a no comment. And so basically we're in this holding pattern as to is this story true, is it not true? But this, of course, comes on, I don't know if you want to call it the heels, but about 10 years ago, Texas and Oklahoma tried to leave the Big 12. At the last minute, they decided to stay. The college sports landscape really really didn't change all that much, but here we are 10, 11 years later, and it appears as though Texas and Oklahoma again are trying to potentially get out of the Big 12 to the SEC, and let me say this. This is a great story. This is a fascinating story. It gives me amazing content here in the middle of July when I thought I'd have nothing to talk about, but I will also be honest. I don't believe that it passes the smell test. I do not believe this is something that is coming. Before we get to it, let me explain why on some level it does make sense, okay? Obviously, Texas and Oklahoma, two of the biggest brands in college sports, trying to get out of the Big 12 into the SEC. And there are two reasons to me why this makes perfect sense on paper for this move to potentially be happening. It makes sense on the first part because uh, it makes sense for the same reason that everything in life makes sense. Dollars and cents, money, dollar dollar bills, y'all, right? Everything in life, follow the money. It is all about the money, and this is no different. Texas and Oklahoma, as I just said a minute ago, I think they're indisputably two of the five, six, seven biggest brands in college football. I know Texas hasn't been that good over the last couple years, but when you talk about in terms of revenue production, when you talk about in terms of interest, when you talk about in terms of a national brand, when you talk about in terms of money spent on the team, it is hard to find anybody bigger than Texas. And then Oklahoma is right behind Clemson and Alabama in terms of overall college football playoff appearances. They have been to four of the seven college football playoffs. Ohio State has been to four. Clemson and Alabama have been to six of the seven. And so you're talking about two of the six, seven, eight biggest brands in college football. If you want to put Texas here and Oklahoma there, I'm not going to argue with you. And so it makes sense because I do think there are probably people in the SEC offices right now kind of licking their lips, rubbing their their fingers together like Johnny Manziel saying, if we could get Texas and Oklahoma, let's rip up that ESPN contract. Let's go back to the negotiating table. And I cannot even imagine how much money you would potentially be talking about if Texas and Oklahoma came to the table. Again, just think about any given Saturday, Bama at Oklahoma, Texas at LSU, 
LSU at Oklahoma, Texas at Auburn, Florida, Te- well, you go on and on. It's just the, the, the number of more high leverage, high volume games would be insane. Obviously, it would only create more interest. It would bring a new state into the SEC footprint with Oklahoma. And you're just talking about tens of millions of dollars added on hundreds of millions, potentially. I don't claim to be a sports business expert. We are talking about a lot of money that would be pumped into the SEC coffers, and this is coming off a historic TV deal uh, that was basically recently consummated here in the last couple months. On top of that, there is a second other reason that this makes sense. Do Texas and Oklahoma really need the Big 12? And this was partly what happened 10, 12 years ago when they tried to leave in 2009, is that basically Texas looked around and said, wait a second now, what do we need Iowa State for? What do we need Kansas for? What do we need Kansas State for? Yeah, Kansas is good in basketball, but football drives everything. And by the way, you guys know, I'm a huge college basketball. I love college basketball. I'm the voice of college basketball. But we all know that football drives these decisions, and Texas and Oklahoma are looking at Kansas and saying Kansas State and Iowa State say, you bring nothing to us. We bring all the value to this conference. Any TV deal without us is bupkis. It's not worth the paper that it's printed on. Nobody's tuning in to see Iowa State Baylor or Texas Tech Kansas State. They just aren't. It's simply the truth. And I know we are coming off a year where Iowa State had a good season, made a big bowl game. We've had in years past TCU, Baylor, schools like that win Big 12 regular season titles. Ironically, Texas is one of the schools that when you look at schools in terms of their most recent Big 12 title, Texas is towards the bottom of the list. I tweeted it out and Texas fans freaked the you-know-what out. But I did say, last time Texas won a Big 12 title was 2009. Since then, Kansas State has won a title, Oklahoma State's won a title, Baylor's won a title, uh, TCU has won a title. And so the point I'm trying to make is that while Texas has not had success on the field, I do think those two brands look at those other schools and say, y'all aren't really doing much for me. Y'all aren't really bringing much to the table. We have, you have no value without us. And so that is why this story on some surface level makes sense. And again, it was funny because I had all these Texas beat writers chirping at me because I said, I don't think it makes sense for the SEC. And they're saying, well, you don't understand how college athletes. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. I've been around the block for a while. I understand how this all works. I just don't buy that this is a story that has real legs. And let me explain why. I've sat down, I've thought about it, I've spent a ton of time researching, I made a few phone calls today. There are several reasons why I just don't think this makes any sense at all. The first one, there's something called a grant and rights deal. And it's basically certain entities, and it's not just in college sports, but certain entities have certain intellectual property for a certain amount of time. What does that mean? That was a bunch of big legal words that make no sense. I even confused myself. But grant and rights basically means that as of right now, The way that the contracts are currently structured, there is only one league that can make money off of Oklahoma and Texas football. That is the Big 12. That grant and rights deal goes until the end of the 2025 fiscal year, which means that even if Texas and Oklahoma wanted to leave for the SEC tomorrow, even if they wanted to leave, they they couldn't. The the SEC could not make a dollar off Oklahoma and Texas football in a TV contract until the end of the 2025 fiscal year going into the 2025 football season. So we're about to enter the 2021 football season, 22, 23, 24. That's four full football seasons before the SEC could make a dollar off of Texas and Oklahoma. The second thing, there's other money uh, issues involved, right? The money sounds great in terms of how much you could get and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? 
You know what else is the truth? On top of that, the SEC is not making any money off Oklahoma and Texas for four full football seasons. There's also something called uh, a withdrawal fee. In other words, if Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12, this is not a big deal, but you're going to have to pay tens of millions of dollars. Uh, yeah, reports are varied. It's hard to know exactly how much, but we're talking about 20 25 $30 million to leave the Big 12. Now, I will say, if Oklahoma and Texas can get a shot at the SEC, then they're going to do it. They're going to pay that money. But I am just saying, when you look at the fact that the SEC can't make any money off them for four years, they're going to have to pay money to leave. I don't see why this makes sense. The third thing, and this is a big one, and this is something, so it's interesting, right? So I'm getting a little bit older in life. I got a few gray hairs coming in. Uh, You know, my mind isn't as sharp as it once was. But I bring it up because one of the benefits of getting old is that you've seen stuff happen before. You know how stuff works. You didn't just, you're not just reading about history on Google or Wikipedia or in a book. You actually lived it. And I bring that up because I was just starting my sports media career in 2009 when the original wave of realignment went down back in 2009. And to me, that's important because there were a lot of lessons learned in that first go-around of realignment that I think a lot of people have forgotten 12 years later. And how could you not? Life goes on. You have kids. You have a child. You leave this. You do that. You buy a house. You can't remember everything. But one thing that happened back in 2009 that remains relevant today is this. When it appeared as though Texas and Oklahoma were going to be potentially leaving for the big, the Pac-12, excuse me. Remember, There was a talk for a while that the Pac-12 was going to be the Pac-16. As a matter of fact, at the time, it was actually the Pac-10, and the Pac-12 was going, or the Pac-10 was going to become the Pac-16. And what ended up happening was, was this, was that Texas, Oklahoma, all these schools wanted to leave, and you know who got involved? The politicians. And the politicians basically said, look, y'all can leave, but you can't leave without taking the other schools with you. And so what do I mean by that? If Oklahoma wants to leave for the SEC, oh, you don't think Oklahoma State's going to get involved? As a matter of fact, you know the only entity that came out and spoke out on behalf of uh, you know, the idea of Oklahoma leaving? Everybody was given no comments left and right. Oklahoma was, Texas was, uh, the, the Big 12 was. You know who wasn't giving a no comment? Was How about this? Uh, it was Oklahoma State who basically came out and said, uh, we are not in favor of this. We are going to fight this. And so you have to remember that politicians will get involved. Oklahoma State, to the Oklahoma economy, to what Oklahoma is, is very important. And the politicians in Oklahoma, many of which are Sooners grads, but of course many of which are Cowboy grads, they're not going to let Oklahoma Oklahoma State get left behind. They're not going to let Oklahoma State become irrelevant as Oklahoma goes to the SEC and rakes in a ton of cash. It's not going to happen. And it's the same with Texas Tech and Texas. They're not going to let Texas just go to the SEC, leave Texas Tech behind, leave everybody scrambling. Listen, I don't remember all the details, but Baylor got involved last time. I mean, there's so many entities, there's so many political people, but the one thing that we learned from 2009, politicians will get involved, and they're just not going to let Texas and Oklahoma do whatever they want without thinking about the other public schools in that state. In the case of Texas, it would be Texas Tech. In the case of Oklahoma, it would be Oklahoma State. The fourth reason that I don't believe that this is really has legs You know who has to sign off on this? The SEC schools. And you know who I don't think is particularly excited about this? Uh, A lot of the SEC schools. Think about it. So first of all, for people who do not understand, the SEC, for this decision to be made, 
for the SEC to expand in athletics, they need sign-off from 11 of the 14 schools, which means that it only takes four no's for this to just go away. Doesn't matter what Texas wants, doesn't matter what Oklahoma wants, doesn't matter what Greg Sankey wants. If you get four no's, if you don't have 11 of 14 schools agreeing to something, it doesn't happen. Well, you know who was one of the first people that was asked about this at SEC Media Days on Wednesday? It was Texas A&M's AD, Ross Bjork. Just so happened this story broke during Texas A&M's media availability, thank goodness, because here's what Ross Bjork said. Ross Bjork, the AD at Texas A&M, said, we want to be the only SEC program in the state of Texas. There's a reason why Texas A&M left the Big 12 to be standalone to have our own identity. Well, you need 11 of 14 SEC schools to sign off to approve Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. Well, you get four no's, they don't come. The first no is pretty public. It's Texas A&M. Texas A&M, you can argue, you can debate, you can this, you can that. I don't think it has done anything other than help Texas A&M and its brand by being the only Texas school in the SEC, okay? I don't think there's any debate. It's been great for recruiting. It's been great for their national profile. Again, I'm old enough to remember Texas A&M in the Big 12. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to A&M. We have a ton of people that listen to this show in Texas, many of you A&M fans, grads, alums. And I do remember the days when Texas A&M was in the Big 12, and they really did go into the shadow and fall in the shadow of Texas. Now, part of it was Texas was really good at that point. Mack Brown, Colt McCoy, everything's rolling. But the bottom line was it really helped Texas A&M and its brand to go to the SEC. And so we know Texas A&M is going to vote against it. You know who else is going to vote against it? Per the Austin American Statesman, Kirk Bowles, really good reporter in Austin, says that Missouri will vote against it. Missouri, of course, was the team that left the Big 12 with Texas A&M to come to the SEC. Kirk Bowles, Austin American Statesman, legitimate newspaper in Texas, said Missouri will say no. And it makes sense. Missouri, like Texas A&M, left the Big 12 because they were tired of Texas's BS. So you already have two no's. And I have to wonder how many other programs, how many other schools, how many other school presidents are going to vote no. Because to me, I think what you have to look at this is, is from a few different perspectives. First of all, besides just, just take dollars and cents out of it, who does it really benefit for the SEC to add Texas and Oklahoma? Because again, money's great, but at a certain point, how much money is enough, right? Like, like if you're Kentucky, if you're Arkansas, if you're Mississippi State, if you're, again, Missouri, who already we know is going to vote no, if you're South Carolina, how many football facility upgrades can you do? How many new baseball stadiums can you build? How many juice bars? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you're making if you have no chance to compete. And so I think when I look at the SEC, I, I look at a school like Arkansas. I look at a school like South Carolina, like Kentucky. And some of you agree, disagree. Oh, add the two biggest brands. I want to go, go play, Austin, play in Austin every couple years and take my family on a vacation. I get it. But if you're Kentucky... You, it, it, no disrespect. It's tough enough to compete for an SEC title with Georgia and Florida. Now you're going to add two more schools into the mix. Maybe potentially Alabama and, and Auburn come to the east and Texas. Like it, At a certain point, why do you need all the money? Things are good right now. Your program's going as well as it could possibly go, and you're going to get knocked down the peg. You're going to get knocked down a couple pegs if Texas and Oklahoma decide to come in. Same with Arkansas. Same with Ole Miss. Same with Mississippi State. Same with South Carolina. Even the good programs, I'll be honest, what do they really have to gain? Think about it from LSU's perspective. LSU just won a national championship 
two years ago. Ironically, you know who they beat on the way to the championship? They won at Texas. Sam Ellinger, we all remember that game. Joe Burrow was awesome. I bring that up to say, if you're LSU, you're recruiting really well in Texas. Yes, you compete with Texas and the Big 12 schools and, and, and Texas A&M and Alabama, but you're recruiting really well in Texas. Do you now want to give Texas and Oklahoma the advantage of saying, hey, you want to stay in that boring old Big 12, you, you score a bunch of points, but you don't compete at the highest level? Well, guess what? Like, like if you're LSU, it doesn't make sense because it's a recruiting disadvantage. Even Alabama. Alabama cleaned up in Texas. And I know Alabama's not afraid of anybody. But they're cleaning up in Texas right now in recruiting. They signed four, five, six guys out of the state of Texas in this most rec recent recruiting cycle. And I think they're sitting there saying, like, why do we want to give that up? Why do we want to bring Texas to the SEC? Why do we want to give them the brand recognition of being an SEC school? Let's just keep things how they are. And oh, by the way, let's keep recruiting the heck out of Texas. And so when I look at it, I don't know how many schools it makes sense for in the SEC and frankly, how many schools it benefits. And then finally, does it really benefit Oklahoma and, 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 and Texas? To me, what's most interesting about this report at this exact time, I understand the money aspect of it but think about it if you're Oklahoma I, I have a buddy so I host on Fox Sports Radio every Saturday night with a guy named Arnie Spanier I have a buddy Chris Plank who is the Oklahoma sideline reporter and I have not talked to Chris Plank since all this story broke to be clear but I asked him about uh, college football playoff expansion when it when it happened a few months ago and I asked him I said you're Oklahoma you're one of the few schools that benefits from co from college football playoff expansion do you like college football playoff expansion? He goes, I love it. You know why? Because if we can get in with four, we're definitely going to get in with 12. And so if you're Oklahoma, the system is already in your favor. First of all, this idea that if Texas leaves, that Oklahoma is going to somehow get left out if they win the Big 12 championship, it's nonsense. Oklahoma is never going to get left out of, the, out of a 12-team playoff if they have a resume that's good enough, okay? So if you're Oklahoma, what benefit does it come to go to the SEC when you're playing in a league where, let's be honest, nine times a year, you just got better dudes than everybody. Now, there's one or two games where you really have to compete and you have to game plan and you got to pull out special stuff. But nine games out of the 12, 10 games out of 12, it's over before you even, it's over the second you walk in the building. And so if you're Oklahoma, what do you gain by going to the SEC? A couple million dollars a year for what? To compete with Alabama and LSU every year? Stay there. If you're making a 14 playoff, you're going to make a 12 team playoff. And so to me, that is why I'm just going to say it. It, it. This doesn't pass the smell test to me. Now, could I be completely wrong? Of course. I've been wrong on a lot of stuff before, but I've also been right on a lot of stuff. And so I, I know that there's all sorts of rumors out right now. And I know I saw Paul Feinbaum is saying that he thinks it could get done soon. All I'm telling you is this. To me, Right now, this doesn't pass the smell test. Now, you know, what, you know what does potentially pass the smell test? I could see Texas wanting to go independent. That is something that I could see. Because I think Texas now looks at the Big 12 a little bit like I was saying a minute ago. I think when you look at Texas, it kind of makes sense for them to sit there and say, wait a second now, there's going to be 12 teams in the playoff? And if we're like 10-2, and two, we're going to get into that playoff. And so why do we need the Big 12? Why do we need to split money? We already have our own TV network. Let's branch off and go independent. We don't need the SEC. We don't need the Big 12. We'll just schedule 12 of our own games. If we go 10-2, and two, we're getting in that playoff, and we're good to go. And so I get it. I get why it makes sense. I think it's a fascinating story. But forgive me. This, to me, does not pass the smell test. I could be completely wrong. By tomorrow, by the time you listen to this, Texas and Oklahoma could be in the Big 12. But I just do not see it.
All right, let's switch gears. Well, I guess we're not really switching gears because we're going to stick with college football. And for people who are new to the show, by the way, wondering, oh, why, why are you talking college football? Listen, this is a show, we will always talk college hoops. And if you found me in March, April, you know, May with the transfer portal stuff, I get it. We're, we're, we're all, but we're always going to talk college hoops. I'll tell you, next week, Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee, will be joining us. So we're always talking college hoops on this show. But it's also the time of the year where it's time to start thinking about college football. And I've covered college football for years. I host Fox Sports Radio's national recap show on Saturday night. So I love talking college football as well. And obviously, it was Media Days week. There's a ton to talk about. And so let's get to a few other topics, including this. Did you see what Nick Saban said about name image like this? Because this is a huge story. This is a huge, interesting, fascinating story. And name image like this just came about literally three weeks ago. I was recording on June 30th, three weeks ago from today. And one of the big questions that I had was how much money will the elite players in college athletics make? So in previous generations, it would be a Zion Williamson. It would be an Anthony Davis. It would be a John Wall in basketball. It would be a Johnny Manziel, be a Reggie Bush. It'd be a Tim Tebow in football. Could it get to the millions? Could it get maybe, you know, two, three, four million over the course of a career for a football player? And we're starting to get answers that it might be quite a bit of money because Nick Saban was asked about name image likeness. He was at a Texas high school football coaches convention on Tuesday prior to going to SEC Media Days. And he was asked about name image likeness. And he said that his quarterback, Bryce Young, who never forget has never played a game yet or not a meaningful game because Mac Jones was a starter last year that Bryce Young, his quarterback, has made an ungodly amount of money. That was his exact quote. And for people who did not see the quote, here is the exact quote. Our quarterback, Bryce Young, already has has already approached ungodly numbers. I'm not going to say what they are. He hasn't even played yet. He hasn't been a starter. If I told you what he's, it's almost seven figures. And it's like, the guy hasn't even played yet. That's because of our program. And so, on the one hand, that's an incredible headline. Alabama quarterback makes seven figures without playing a game. But let me say this. Much like the Texas-Oklahoma stuff, I do believe that there's a little bit of smoke and it doesn't totally pass the smell test. But I'll also say this. More than Texas-Oklahoma, I do believe there's probably some truth to it. And so, so first of all, why do I not believe that it passes the smell test? The reason I don't believe that it necessarily passes the smell test, that maybe Nick Saban's exaggerating a little bit. Well, in life, context matters, right? Um, you know, you tell your best friend, uh, you know, that he doesn't look good. Uh, I'm not even going to go down that road. I was going to make an inappropriate joke and somebody was going to get offended. So I'll just stay out of it. But the point is context in life matters. And so what you have to understand is where did Nick Saban make this statement? He made it at a Texas high school football coaches convention. You know who hangs out at Texas high school football coaches conventions, Texas high school football coaches. You know what Texas high school football coaches have really good players. You know who Nick Saban wants in his program? The best high school football players in America. And so to me, this is this does feel a little bit kind of like one of those Nick Saban sort of recruiting without officially recruiting, and he's not putting on his recruiting hat, but he's kind of subtly kind of just letting these guys know, hey, wait a second. I know you guys love UT. I know you love A&M. I know you love TCU. I know you're an Aggie. I know you're a Longhorn. But you send your guys to me. Not only are we going to win at the highest level, not only are we going to prepare them for the NFL, We're going to get our guys paid. My quarterback hasn't even taken a snap, and he's clearing a million dollars, hanging out at the house, doing nothing, hasn't even taken a snap yet. So to me, it does feel a little bit like maybe Nick Saban is exaggerating just a tiny bit just to prove a point, just to let the Texas high school football coaches know, hey, send your guy to me. 
We're going to rock out. We're going to make your boys a ton of money. And by the way, what does is, what is even approaching seven figures mean? Is it 600000 Is it 980000 We don't know, but I don't think it's nothing. But is Nick Saban exaggerating a little bit? I think he probably could be. But what I would also tell you is I also could see the scenario where he's not exaggerating. And it's not because, oh, my God, he's the Alabama quarterback. People are throwing money at him left and right. That's certainly part of it. But there was something that happened a few weeks ago that I thought was very interesting that I thought in the grand scheme of college sports was pretty undercovered. And that's this. And let's go back to when name image likeness first came about just three weeks ago. And I think we all were, everyone was kind of trying to feel stuff out. What is this going to be like? How much are guys going to make? How's it all going to work? All this stuff. And when it started, I think we all just kind of assumed, hey, you know, Aaron Torres Pizza in Tuscaloosa wants to have a, a player tweet out on his behalf or Instagram on his behalf. I'll just reach out to the school. We'll get a player. We'll give them an X amount of money. They'll tweet it out on our behalf. Blah, 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 blah. Very easy, right? And I think that's how we all kind of thought name image likeness was going to go. The school was going to kind of be in the middle, but not be in the middle. And they couldn't really tell them no. But, but you know, they'd kind of have their hand in it just so everybody knew what everybody else was doing. But then a funny thing happened about six, seven days in a name image likeness the really big players started publicly announcing that they were signing with major agencies, okay? So DJ Uyilaganlele, the quarterback from Clemson, he signed with Gary V's agency. Gary V, many of you know, uh, as a motivational speaker, he's all this stuff, but he owns a sports agency. And it's Gary V, but it's not a small deal that DJ, like, like this isn't DJ getting a DM from the pizza place saying, here's 500 bucks, come uh, to take a picture at the pizza place. This is like it, the agents getting involved. There's some, some interesting stuff going on here. And it was the same with Bryce Young. And I thought this was insanely underreported. Bryce Young signed with CAA a few weeks ago. CAA, for people who do not know the agency game, I don't expect you to. CAA is one of the biggest players in sports, the sports agency business. Chris Paul is represented by CAA. John Calipari is represented by CAA. Carl Anthony Towns is represented by CAA. Uh, Derek Jeter is represented by CAA. Zion Williamson is represented by CAA. Not sure if you heard of Peyton Manning. He's represented by CAA. So I bring it up to say CAA is big game hunting. And as soon as I saw that Bryce Young signed with CAA, you know what it did to me? It rang a light bulb right above my head. There is real money to be made for these college athletes because CAA is not going to waste its time with a guy that they cannot make money off of. Now, I do understand part of this is they want to build a relationship. They want to get in the door early. Bryce Young, because he's an Alabama quarterback, let's be honest, he's probably going to win at least one national championship as a starter. He will probably have an incredible brand by the time that he leaves college sports. He's probably going to be a first-round pick and make a ton of money. So is part of this about CAA getting in the door on the ground floor? Yes. But I don't believe that CAA would have signed him if there was not money to be made. And it's interesting because I, Cole Kublik, who works for ESPN, I actually went on his radio show a few weeks ago, and we talked about this. And I asked Cole. Cole. Cole is incredible. He's as plugged in as anybody I know. And I said, I said, they don't sign him if there's not, like, real money to be made, right? And, and I don't remember what he said, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but essentially he said, like, that, that, you're probably on to something there, Aaron. And so when I saw that, I said, there's got to be something going on. And so when I see the, the, the near seven figures, it becomes fascinating to me because what is going on that we do not yet know about? Because to me, there has to be something that we do not yet know about. Because let's be honest, Tuscaloosa Toyota, they aren't paying Bryce Young $700,000. Uh, you know, Aaron Torres Pizza in Tuscaloosa ain't paying them $700,000. The local barbershop ain't paying them 450000 So 
there has to be some kind of national brand that is interested in having Bryce Young represent them. And maybe the contract's already signed. Maybe we won't see it until the season starts. Maybe we won't see it until Alabama is really good again and number one in the country. But it feels to me like there must be something going on here and that there must be some kind of national brand or brands involved. So it'll be really interesting. I'll be really curious to see what happens. But it proves this name image likeness thing is here to stay. And it was interesting because Nick Saban was asked about it at media days. And he kind of said, like, you know, I'm not going to talk about too much of this stuff because we don't know what the unintended consequences, good or bad, is going to be. And so I don't know what this is going to look like a year from now. But what it tells me is these elite players, the agents are getting in early. They're getting them set up with stuff. And the one thing I can tell you is this definitively. No, one thing I could tell you, and I'm actually excited about this. This actually makes me really, really happy. Never again. Will anybody on Twitter or social media be able to talk about these poor, broke, hungry college athletes? I've argued for years college athletes have it good. Well, guess what? In the name, image, likeness era, anybody who is worth anything is going to be able to make side money. And we'll be, I'll be curious to see what happens with Bryce Young because I don't think that he signs with CAA. I don't think that CAA is interested in him if they didn't believe that there was real money to be made off Bryce Young right now. Couple other college football topics. We'll get to Andy Coons, as I said, the Olympian, first Olympian I've ever had on the show. First one, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, Dabo Sweeney did talk about an expanded 12 team college football playoff. He is not in favor of it. And frankly, he's not in favor of it because of the same reason that I was not initially in favor of it. And he basically said, look, there's not 12 teams good enough to win it. My guys don't want to have to play extra games, they don't want to have to play two more games just to beat two teams that they know can't beat them. And so, on the one hand, I obviously understand where Dabo Sweeney's coming from. On the other hand, I also disagree, and I've spent so much time about, on talking about this, I'm not going to spend uh, you know, a lot of time, but look, I, I do believe that it is time to expand the college football playoff. I've never been in favor of it, but I do believe that those two top two, three teams are starting to pull away from the sport, Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, even Oklahoma's won six straight Big 12 titles. I mean, there's nobody even close to them in that league right now, no disrespect to Iowa State, et cetera. I also think it'll be good for so I think it so I think expansion will be good for the Pac-12. I think it'll be good for the Big 12 where maybe a second team can get in. I don't think it's going to hurt the SEC where we're going to have three teams in probably every single year and maybe a LSU or not an LSU, maybe an Ole Miss, maybe an Arkansas, maybe somebody uh you know, a Tennessee down the road, a Kentucky down the road can have a special season get in at 9 and 3, 10 and 2, whatever. Uh so I'm not against it but I think it'll be good for all of those second tier teams I think it'll be good also for the group of five teams that's been the biggest reason I've been in favor of expansion I just don't think it's fair to a Cincinnati to go undefeated and have no shot to compete for a championship I also think it'll be good for opt-outs so I understand where Dabo Sweeney is coming from but I do disagree with him on the concept that it is not good to have college football playoff expansion and the last little topic I want to get to is a little bit of a sad one and that is the news that came out on Wednesday that Bobby Bowden, the legendary head coach from Florida State, uh, he was as big as anybody when I first became a college football fan, uh, 91 years old, has a terminal medical condition. And you know I like to have fun on this show. I don't take myself too seriously. But this is a sad story. I mean, yes, he's 91. Yes, he's lived a full life. But Bobby Bowden and his family released a statement basically saying that, you know, he is, um, you know, he's not doing too well. And so he released a statement that said, I've always tried to serve God's purpose for my life on and off the field, and I am prepared for whatever is to come. My wife, Anne, and our family have been life's greatest blessing. I am at peace. 
And so all I will say really quick, um, anybody who's probably under 30, 31 years old, you know what Bobby Bowden means to college football, two-time national champion. I think most of you know, but there was a stretch of about 12, 13 years where they finished in the top four every single year. You wonder if there was a four-team playoff back in the 80s and 90s, how many more Bobby Bowden could have potentially won. Um, but he's an icon. He, he is an icon. I'll say this. I, I did have one chance to interview Bobby Bowden. It was in the... Uh, it was about four or five years ago, and it was an incredible experience. It was a unique story. Um, it was actually about Joe Maurer, the baseball player. But Joe Maurer actually was the number one rated high school football quarterback coming out in addition to baseball, committed to play both football and baseball at Florida State. And then ultimately, when he was drafted number one overall by the Minnesota Twins, obviously elected to go to Major League Baseball. But I bring it up because I talked to Bobby Bowden about that recruitment, about what he remembered about Joe. I also talked to Mike Martin, the iconic uh, Florida State baseball coach. But I bring it up to say when I when I had a chance to speak with Bobby Bowden, um, you know, he was sweet. He was genuine. That guy that you saw on TV every Saturday, that was what I got on the phone. And so I can't speak to what he was like every day, every month, every year. Was he as good as all I can tell you is he gave me about 25 minutes of his time for a fun story that I did, and he was incredibly gracious with his time, and so I appreciate Coach Bowden. That's it for this uh, portion of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Coming up, first of all, as I mentioned, Rick Barnes is coming next week, but coming up, a really fun interview. I think you guys will like it. U.S. Olympian Annie Coons joins the show. Annie Coons, like I said, when I first met Annie, it was about six, seven years ago, she was hosting a Texas A&M periscope show with Casey Smith who is now at Barstool Sports if you've listened to this show a long time Casey Smith came on this show many years ago when it first launched so it's probably two years ago now um, but Casey and Annie hosted a Texas A&M football show and obviously uh, since then Annie's gone on to do big things so she was at A&M at the time or she had just graduated she has been training for the Olympics since then and she's in the Olympics. She is a heptathlete, which is, I believe, seven events. We'll talk a little bit about it. And she qualified for the Olympics. And so we talk. It's a really fun conversation about what it's like to train for the Olympics, to prepare, all of those sorts of things. And then most importantly, um, you know, uh, life, experiences, uh, just what it's going to be like to be in the Olympics. So Annie Coons, U.S. Olympian. I encourage you, by the way, follow her on Instagram and Twitter, at Annie Coons, K-U-N-Z. Uh, but really fun interview that I do think you guys will like. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars on our on our uh, uh, iTunes page. It really does help us move up the iTunes charts and all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. But that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Again, Monday, Rick Barnes will join me. But in the meantime, here is an interview with our first ever Olympian, first ever Olympian, Annie Coons, heptathlete, headed to Tokyo in the coming days. All right, joining me via Zoom. Um, right before we recorded, you just said it. When, when I met this young lady, she was hosting a Periscope show with Casey Smith of 
Barstool Sports. This was many years ago now. And I know this because Periscope doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, Eddie <laughs> who, of course, is now in a, a U.S. Olympian heptathlon. What's going on? How are you? I'm so good. I am. It's so fun, like coming full circle now, being on the other end um, and not interviewing anymore and kind of enjoying this new chapter of my life. I'm, I'm so good. I'm super excited um, for the next week, couple weeks to head out to Tokyo. Fantastic. So let's, let's get right to it. So you qualified, I want to say about maybe 10 days ago, two weeks ago. So for people who don't know Annie, uh, a heptathlete, which is I think eight different events, if, if my research is correct. Uh, by the way, Texas A&M Aggie, just like Casey. So um, so just what, so what is, where are we at right now? Like, obviously there's, we, we've all read about what's going on in Tokyo. So you qualified two, three weeks ago, and now are you just kind of hanging out in a holding pattern waiting to go to Tokyo right now? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of different for every sport. A lot of, um, like team sports are off doing, they went and did like training camps over in like Hawaii or even Korea oh. or something to kind of get adjusted to the time zone. It really just depends on your sport. And, um, and for us, it's actually like, we, we qualify so quickly before the actual Olympics, like literally within a month. <laughs> um, so we just headed back to training. I got like a, like four or five days where I just like recovered after trials. Um, and then we just go back to our normal training system. I'm out here at the Olympic training center in Chula Vista, like South of San Diego. Um, and so we aren't really like in a bubble. Um, we pretty much just went back to normal, normalcy until we leave on Monday um, and head out to Tokyo. So for people who don't know, explain uh, what the heptathlon is. So the heptathlon is the women's version of the decathlon. Um, and for people that don't know what the decathlon is, just know that that's what Bruce or formerly known as Bruce Jenner <laughs> used to do. Um, so the heptathlon is seven different events over the course of two days, and mm -hmm. it's based on a point system. So we'll do four, four events on day one, which are the hurdles, high jump, shot put, and the 200, and then turn around on day two and do the long jump javelin in the 800. Um, so however far you throw or far you jump and whatever time you get in your running events, you get a certain amount of points, and they add it up at the end, and your point total is how you base off first, second, third, and all that. So how do you know how you're doing in a meet? Are you doing math in your head the entire time while you're, while this meet is going on, while the meet is going? Um, I used to earlier <laughs> in my career, I used to be like super, like we have like a little calculator on our phone. You just like add in whatever you want. And I've learned in recent years, that doesn't work for me. Um, sure. I think because then you get super focused on outcome outcomes. Whereas you, for me, I try to stick as process fo focused as I can, um, and just executing one step at a time. And so if I know that if I execute, then those numbers will kind of fall into place. Um, but definitely I think once you get to like after javelin and you're going into the 800, you kind of look at it to, because at that point it's like, okay, I need to beat this girl by three seconds, or I can't let this girl pass me to get first, second, third, whatever it is. Um, so I think before the 800, it's more of a strategy. You're kind of looking at points that way. I'm, I more just tell my coach to look at everything and then just let me know what I need to do. <laughs> um, that way I don't get lost in the numbers. So when you're going through the meet with the, um, this is the U.S. qualifying, obviously this was like two, two and a half weeks ago. Like at yeah. what point do you realize you're an Olympian? And then obviously uh, tell us what it, for the 99.999% of us that will never experience that moment. <laughs> 
I still get chills when you like, when people say you're an Olympian, like I, it just makes the hair on my arms stand up. It's super, it's just a dream of mine. I've literally had my entire life. Um, and so for it to be true now, it just means the world to me. I knew after, um, the javelin, which is notoriously my weaker event. Um, so I was really just trying to hit like 40 meters to try to be in the top three. Um, I really wasn't paying too close attention to like, am I going to, am I trying to win this? But after jab, I threw 45 meters. That was well past what I was trying to achieve in that event. Um, and I had set myself up really, really well into that event. So I knew when I threw jab that I was like, not only was I going to make the team, because at that point, Erica, Kendall, and I, who all got top three, were so far ahead of the next people that it was going to be really hard for us not to make the team. Um, so we knew at that point we were Olympians and that's a really good feeling going into the hardest event, which is the 800. Um, and then I knew going into the 800 that I had to beat Kendall by like 0.2 seconds, um, which isn't much, but the whole race, I felt her like right on my shoulder. Cause she knew she, I had to beat her by 0.2 seconds too. So she's trying to just ride my shoulder as long as she can. Um, and so when I cr crossed the finish line, I had no idea how far back she was from me. And then um, obviously I'm on the ground, like catching my breath and we're like waiting in anticipation to look at the board. And my name is at the top of the leaderboard. And then it said six, seven, which like 6,700 points was a number. I just didn't even feel, I didn't even know it was attainable sure. um, and I hadn't been calculating things. So I really didn't know. I just knew I had to beat her by a little bit. So um, it was just overwhelming. It was just like all the years, it's been five years now of being in this process and it has been such a grind and it has been so many like ups and downs. Like it's been a really struggle, huge struggle financially. So, um, I think I was just overwhelmed because it was like, all my work was worth it at that point. I was like, I did it. And it was just pretty, it was perfect. I couldn't have dreamt of a, of a better situation, honestly. <laughs> Well, first of all, congratulations. Obviously, it goes without saying. Um, so yeah. take people like what what is your everyday life like? Right. Because obviously, you know, basketball players, tennis players, soccer, like we see them every day. And I know you guys yeah. have international meets and all that stuff. But like, you know, I, I don't think I'm being rude by saying the, the casual, you know, American sports fan doesn't follow track 365 days yeah. a year. So <laughs> Like what so like what is your day-to-day -day like what is your calendar like obviously uh you, you're building up towards an olympic year which wasn't last year but we'll get into 2020 in a minute but just like like what is your normal day-to-day -day life like because you're literally i feel like and please tell me that i'm being stupid if i'm wrong but like you know kind of just working 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 for those two two three weeks whatever it is in the lead up to the olympics so anyway that's a long-winded way of me asking. yeah i mean it's way more it's been like I think for track, especially, and just this journey we've been on, it's literally years of work for one track meet. Like you wow. have to qualify for the Olympic trials or for the Olympics at the Olympic trials, you have to place top three and you have to get the Olympic A standard. So those, it was, it can seem like a lot of pressure because it's like years of work with hardly any money. Um, it's like the like most delayed gratification you can ever think of. Um, because it's really a grind. We, we start in October, normally September, October in the fall. Um, and then our indoor season picks up around January and then outdoor season starts around March and April. Um, and then we go through the summer our outdoor season and, um, we go pretty much from like 
10 in the morning to like four in the afternoon. Um, we'll be out at the track for like two to three hours and then we take a break and then we go to the weight room for one to two hours. Um, and that's like four to five days a week. Um, and with like one to two recovery days. So that's kind of the, the schedule I'm on year round. Um, and then we go overseas for a couple big meets, um, big heptathlons, just because you can get more ranking points for, um, like your world ranking to qualify for the Olympics. And, um, they're just bigger meets. There's prize money out there. There's like no opportunities like that in the U S. Um, so we tend to go overseas quite a bit um, once we're in the, in the spring for in season and just honestly, every, every hep and every, everything we've done up until this moment is just preparing us for the Olympic trials. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my day to day and what I've been doing for the last four and a half years. <laughs> so we, you and I were talking a little bit before uh, we started here. I just got back from Mexico. I got a great tan going, by the way. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you said you you and your fiance like to go in the off season. How often? Mm-hmm. How many times a year do you get to just like eat a cheeseburger, drink a beer, and like kick your feet up? I mean, I always, usually like as soon as season's over, I usually have a, a trip planned and I, my okay. ass is there. Like as soon as I'm done, I'm like on a beach with like a margarita and some chips and guac. Um, but I mean, we typically, we typically get like a month, maybe a month and a half in the off season. And that's really where I take it easy. I'll like find a different workouts like F45 or, you know, beach run trails, just kind of stuff that I enjoy doing to keep me in shape, but away from the track. Um, and then I pretty much go pretty easy, like nutrition wise and stuff. I kind of just give myself that time to like indulge and enjoy myself. So by the time it's time to start training again, I'm like ready for it. Cause I've been like binge eating for like a month <laughs> <laughs> and eating all the sweets and drinking and stuff like that. Cause as soon as we start up again, I'm pretty strict. So, um, yeah, I get like a month, a month and a half, probably every year. Better to stronger will than I am. You're stronger will than I am. <laughs> What am I going to ask? Okay, so you said delayed gratification, right? And so like, you know, I like to have fun, but I like to kind of, you know, take some serious life lessons out of all this. But like, for you, like, is there a lesson for, I'm sure young people reach out to you all the time. How do I get to where I am, blah, 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 this and that. But I do feel like in the world that we live in, it's everyone is just now I need this. I want that. I have to have that. I mean, what is it like to, and trust me, I'm the same way. I can be guilty of that as anybody, but what is it like to know, like, I got a, you know, I got a long road ahead of me. I'm not going to see the fruits of my labor in some cases, a couple months, a couple years. Like, I don't know. I mean, is that a question you get? And then more importantly, like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a good life lesson in there somewhere, you know? Totally. I mean, it's funny. My mom calls us like the microwave generation. Like we just want things right then and there Mm -hmm. right away. Um, and I think this whole process has just honestly taught me so much, not only about myself, but just life lessons and what it takes to succeed. And I will take those lessons in whatever I do after track and field. Um, I think especially like through COVID and just having like off years, not with no championships meets and stuff like that. Um, you really learn like how passionate you are about something and how badly you'll, you'll work and how hard you'll work to, to get that. Um, especially through COVID, I think it was like the first time in my life where I was completely alone, like pushing myself every day with no coach, with no structure. Um, I was creating all of that on my own and it just really instills in you hard work, 
and hard work ethic, perseverance, sacrifice. I was making no money still and still trying to make do. So um, I think if anything, it's just made me such a stronger human being. And I will, I will always take the lessons. Cause I'm like, if I can get through that, I can do anything. <laughs> like it's been a struggle and a grind for like four and a half years. Um, but it truly, truly is all worth it in the end. Like if you want something bad enough, you can achieve it. And that sounds so cheesy, but it's so true. <laughs> so what, what happened with COVID? I mean, do you feel like maybe there is statistical data, whether it's times throws, whatever, do you feel like you were in as good of a position in 2020? If the Olympics had been in 2020, do you feel like it helped you to have the year? Did it hurt you? What, what, what happened? Gosh, with I think. When it first happened, I think it was so hard for so many athletes. Like we've been putting our lives on hold pretty much for this four years. And then for it to get postponed, I think a lot of athletes struggled um, with their mental health and their identity and things like that. Um, and I definitely had that period of time. It took a, a couple months where I got pretty depressed and I started seeing someone to kind of snap out of it. Um, but I think my perspective changed on it because I played soccer in college. That was my main sport. And so I really felt like I was always kind of the soccer girl that was playing catch up. And so it kind of switched my perspective where I was like, I've been playing catch up. I'm kind of catching up. I'm gaining on these girls. Like I, my 2019 was my best season yet. I came off right before shutdowns. I won indoor national championships. So I kind of was getting momentum. And then I kind of switched my perspective when, the, when COVID happened, I was like, I get another year to get better. Like and people are probably not taking this time. Like people are probably taking this time off because we're stuck inside and there's no facilities to get into. So I really like shifted that and that mentality. And I was like, I'm going to use my time wisely. I'm going to create structure for myself. Um, I'm going to video, like send video to my coach. I'm going to find parks to go sneak into and like like I bought some like hurdles, like collapsible hurdles that were terrible, but they got the job done. <laughs> um, I got a shot put, I bought a shot put. I, and then I would just find parks and make do. I found them like at a basketball court that backed up to grass. And I just like ruined this corner of the park. <laughs> I put. Like, I hope no one got like a broken ankle while trying to walk through there. Um, but yeah, I just, I really tried to just like use my time wisely. And like I said, it just taught me so much about how badly I genuinely want this. Cause I was out there for the first time pushing myself and learning so much about myself. And I, and I found resources too. In that time, I, I, like I said, I kind of got depressed. I started seeing a therapist to kind of snap out of that. And then I found my sports, my mental coach, um, my sports psychologist that I wouldn't have had in 2020. And he's made the world of difference in this year and at the trials and has really helped me manage the hip taflon mentally. And it's just, I, I, I think I would have had a good chance of making it in 2020, but winning it, like for sure, there's no way. Um, so I think COVID in the end of, at the end of the day was probably the biggest blessing in disguise. So you said you played at soccer Texas A&M, which I, I remember from the Periscope days. Um, what? How did you end up? Because I, I saw an interview or something where you said Texas A&M was the only one that really like actively recruited you to do both. I, I believe that's correct. And so, how did that like? How did that transition? Did you just realize that you had a brighter future? And I mean, how do you go from yeah. this dual sport person to? you know, obviously at some point you committed fully to track and the rest is kind of history. 
Yeah. I mean, soccer was my main sport my whole life. I had been doing track and soccer since I was two and three years old. I was dead set on doing them both in college and I followed through with it. I did it all four years, but going into my senior season of soccer, um, my soccer coaches sat me down at our end of the, at end of the season meetings. And they were like, I think it'd be really beneficial for you to redshirt your track um, season this year do spring soccer with us, get the lifting, get the time with the team, build the chemistry, because we knew we were going to be really good that year. Um, going into our senior year, I had, my class was like the most successful class we've had. And so I did that. Um, I needed a fifth year for school anyway. And so I did that. We went to final four. It was amazing. Um, for the first time in school history, and then I got for the first time in my life to switch gears and put all my eggs in, in one basket in track and field. Um, and that was the first time I've ever been able to do that where soccer wasn't on my, like, I wasn't balancing it again. I could just do all soccer, focus all on soccer for a time, a year, and then go to track and focus all on track for a year. And I think that was probably the best thing I could have done for myself. Um, cause I finally got that fall training with track, um, where I got the foundational technical training that I was always missing. Cause I was going from in season to in season. Um, and that's where it kind of took off for me. I qualified for the Olympic trials. I wasn't expecting to do that. Um, in 2016. And then I was like 22nd, I think going in, I was like second to last or last going in. And I finished eighth, I broke the school record. And it really just opened my eyes to like, well, shit, maybe I should have been doing track um, full time. And so I kind of sat there and was like, I think I would have regret it if I didn't just give this sport some time to really focus on and see what I can do in it. And um, I got recruited from there to move out to the training center in San Diego. And I've been there ever since. And I'm just so grateful I made that decision because I was actually thinking about going pro in soccer. Um, but I'm, I'm much happier, I think, in track. And I couldn't have dreamt of a better situation. <laughs> Fantastic. A couple questions, we'll get you out of here. So the first one is, and I, I meant to ask this earlier, how do you find out you're good at the heptathlon because I, I would think you know you know you're fast you know you can throw a javelin far like like when does uh, it's probably a coach I'm guessing but like when does the light bulb go off of oh she can do all of those things really well so we're gonna let her do all of them instead of just one yeah I mean well when, when I was in high school um I would just show up to track meets and I would do most of the jumps so I did long jump triple jump high jump. And then I did the hundred hurdles, the 300 hurdles, and they would throw me in the four by two when they needed someone. Um, so then when I would go get recruited by soccer schools, soccer recruits earlier. So it would always go to the soccer schools that I was interested in. And then I would just go track, talk to the track coach and every single one of them were like, yeah, you'd be a great heptathlete. And I had no freaking clue what I was getting myself into. Um, and then I did my first heptathlon and ran an 800. And I was like, what did I sign up for? This is really hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the all around athlete. Like you kind of have to have power, speed, um, technique. So I think it's super fun. It, you never get sick of anything. You kind of get to sure. bounce around events. You don't get burned out of one thing. Um, so I'm super happy that I wasn't just amazing at one thing and they kind of <laughs> recruited me as a heptathlete. All right. Um, so what's next? I mean, I think I kind of referenced it off the top, but obviously, uh, it's a little yeah. bit of, you know, talk about delayed gratification, you know, they're, they're kind of like easing you into, uh, getting to Tokyo. Cause I think your event is like first few days of August. So for people don't know <laughs> the, the quote unquote opening ceremony is, but you know, this will run on Thursday. So the day after on Friday, so yeah. 
like when do you like what it what is the next couple days look like yeah I mean it's been crazy because of COVID and just like I think we're missing out a little bit on like the luster of the Olympics and the Olympic experience because of COVID um we're not because we are at the end of the games we're not allowed to fly out and be there for opening ceremonies like track and field athletes um so missing out there and then they have like a harsh 48 hour um you have to leave as soon as your event is over oh. um so and i leave so i leave on the 7th and closing ceremonies are on the 8th um so i'm missing both of those but so i leave on monday um we'll fly there we've heard it's pretty intense we like fly for 11 and a half hours we get there we have like a anywhere from four to eight hours where we're in holding like with covid testing stuff um japan is super strict there's been like so many forms and protocols and things that we're trying that we're having to follow before we leave um and then i get there and it's really just get adjusted to the time zone um and then we compete on the fourth and fifth in tokyo which is like the third and fourth and i think our 800 is technically on the fifth in the u.s it's like so weird how the time zone works um but yeah i mean so it's kind of a bummer you get to miss out on that stuff but at the same time i think it could be beneficial because there's less distractions and you're just going there and you're there to compete and um that's kind of where my mentality is um where maybe it'll be good for me and I will, I'll be less distracted by things. So I was going to say that, that was going to be my last question. Well, really two parts was how do we watch, but I don't think we're really positive yet how we watch because of the time change and all that stuff. But how do you feel yeah. going in? Do you feel like, like good, loose, fun, relaxed or what? How yeah. Do you feel? yeah. I mean, I think in the, tri the trials, I think went so well for me because I, I really kind of let go of all those expectations and like just gripping on so tight to making the team. I was just like, okay, I know I'm going to do my best. And if it's God's will, I'm going to make the team. If it's not, then that's his plan. And I'm just going to enjoy the moment and enjoy the experience. And I really tried to embrace that um, and just stay present through the whole thing because it's just so, it's so rare. Like not many people get to go to the Olympic trials and compete. Not many people get to go to the Olympics. So I'm really going to take those lessons into the Olympics and just try to soak in the moment, like be present, enjoy the experience, um, and just take it one step at a time and try to execute one thing, one event at a time, like I did at the trials, um, and just have so much fun. I'm just super excited. I feel more excited than anything. Like my anxiety and stuff isn't really up. I'm just more excited and and it's been so crazy. There's just been like an outpour of love and encouragement and support. And so I'm just really grateful for it all. And I'm going to take that into the Olympics for sure. Fantastic. Any thoughts on the Aggies going into this year? Have you had a chance to do your college football prep yet or what? I have not. <laughs> I've been a little busy, <laughs> but I am excited. I'm going to fly home actually for the A&M um, CU game. My dad went to CU. That's right. And then a bunch of AM people are going to be at the AM game there. So I'm going to fly home when the Olympics are over and I'll be able to have a beer and relax. And I'm super stoked for that. <laughs> All right. Annie Coons, uh, heptathlon. So we said August 5th, 8th? August 3rd and 4th in the U.S., um, August 4th and 5th in, in Japan. And I, I've I'm going to post like, what, like how to watch and all the streaming stuff as we get a little bit closer um, cool. I think NBC sports is pretty good about that. And they, they posted a couple of streaming schedules and stuff. So hopefully it won't be too crazy to try to watch <laughs> for my family. Well, not just your family. We'll all be watching best of luck, yeah. uh, safe travels, get there safe. And, uh, you know, when you win gold, you got to come back on in a few weeks. All right. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron. This is super fun. <laughs>
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.